All right, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12, verses 20 through 25. Going to be focusing, though, on 20 through 24. And I want to talk to you tonight, very briefly, because I know I can even smell the chili tonight. I want to talk to you, though, about Jesus, the true king. It says in verse 20, as Luke records the church's advance and the gospel going forth, he says, Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. You know, when you get to the New Testament, you are introduced to these rulers, to this family that you had not heard about in the Old Testament, the Herods, the Herodian dynasty. I mean, you come through and you begin to find Herod here and Herod there, and you're trying to make some kind of sense of all these different Herods because you realize they all can't be the same. I mean, there was a Herod that certainly uh, sought after Jesus and tried to destroy him when he was a baby. But then there was a Herod in which Jesus appeared before during his trial. But yet now again, Dr. Luke tells us about a Herod who has actually claimed the life of James, the apostle, and he has imprisoned Peter. Where in the world did all of these Herods come from? And here, this Herod, which we know and identifies Herod Agrippa I, How has he come to this place where he can walk in in front of his people and they proclaim him to be a God? How in the world could they get there? Because here he is at the pinnacle of his power, or so it seems. Herod Agrippa I seems to have achieved that great rule of this nation. And he has become not only the king, but for many, he is this image of deity. How in the world did we get here? Now we know Herod Agrippa I, talking about it last week, that he had used his influence with the Jews. That's one of the reasons he had wanted to kill James, one of the reasons he imprisoned Peter, because he wanted to curry favor with the Jewish people so that he could stay in power. But may I suggest to you that he had learned this through his family line. May I suggest to you that Herod Agrippa I, this individual that comes and is able to receive such praise, really has attained his power just as his family had. It's really interesting. And I know I only have a few minutes tonight, but I want to kind of encapsulate for you in a very brief and I know a simple way the history of the Herods and kind of how this has all taken place because I find this fascinating. I find it fascinating. If you were to to go and read of the Herods and the story of the Herodian dynasty, you would really think that you were watching some new uh, television program that they had put out. And it would probably make some good stuff. I may even have to do this. Can I do this on this? Maybe I'll talk with personnel afterwards. If I can actually take the Herods and write their story and place it on television because it would be amazing if you would see the deception, if you would see the power, if you would see all of the different relationships as they come together. It is amazing how they achieve such power. I say to you, it's 
surprising that you find the Herod's names in the New Testament because you don't find them in the Old. How in the world did they come to power? Well, some of you know that there were 400 years, basically, between the Old and New Testament. 400, we call them. Help me out. That's right, silent years. Right? The 400 silent years. When there was no prophetic voice, we, we didn't hear. We, we end with Malachi, and the next thing we know, we're into Matthew. But during that time, during that time, the, the Jewish people actually revolt. The Greeks had come in, they had taken over, but the, Jew, the Jewish people had revolted. The Maccabees, the Hasmonean dynasty had been formed. And for just a very brief time, the Jews had enjoyed independence. Well, you know, in that state of independence, there are all kinds of uh, bickering. And before you know it, civil war breaks out between two brothers that claim the throne. And this guy, this guy named Antipater, decides he will get involved. Antipater, you ever heard of him? He's Herod the Great's dad. He's Herod Agrippa the first great-granddad. Antipater. He was from Idumea, which is kind of south ar around Petra. Any of you ever been to Petra before? One of the most amazing places on the face of this earth. If you ever go, if you ever get a chance, you ought to go to Petra, Jordan. But from around that basic area, he was Idumean. And, and when the Jews had come down and taken Idumea over, they basically said, you convert to Judaism or you die. And they converted many of these people into Judaism. And Antipater came from that area, and he came up, and when these two guys were up there fighting of the Hasmonean dynasty, they were fighting, Antipater came, and he looked at Hyrcanus, who he was going to take sides with, and said, hey, man, if, if, if you let me kind of have some influence, I'll help you out in this, and I'll, we'll take this from your brother. And before you know it, that occurs. And if you remember around this time, the Romans have come up on the picture. And Antipater, very wise guy, runs down to Egypt in a certain battle and war that's going on. And he actually takes about 3,000 of his guys along with some others. And he goes and he, he actually saves this guy. He actually saves this guy named Julius Caesar. Ever heard of him before? And he carries a lot of favor with the Romans. And Caesar's like, this is a pretty good guy old Antipater. And before you know it, notice this, how Antipater is just kind of worming his way into influence and into power. And before you know it, before you know it, the Romans have given him much authority, which then passed on to his son, Herod. Herod, we call him the great, or at least history calls him the great. Because he was, he ruled for such a long time, he, he built so many different things. He built the Temple Mount itself. He built this little harbor up at Caesarea now that his grandson is, is, is staying at. He did so much, Herod the Great. But if you look at history, you'll notice that he also used his manipulation as the Romans were battling out, as they were fighting, he begins to take sides. 
And guess what? He takes the wrong side. Herod the Great, he takes the side of the great Mark Antony. And before you know it, Mark Antony is defeated. And you've got this guy named Octavian who becomes Caesar Augustus. So Herod is on the wrong side. So what does he do? What would you do if you're on the wrong side? You go beg for mercy and apologize. And Herod goes and he begs Octavian. He begs him for mercy. And before you know it, Augustus looks at him and he appreciates his loyalty. And he says, this is, you're the ruler. And before you know it, the Roman Senate has declared Herod the king of Judea. And this whole area. But the king, Herod, believed that he had to hold on with everything that he had to the power that had been given to him. And before you knew it, he was executing people. History tells us he executed at least one out of his ten wives. Guess that's not too bad, huh? He killed at least three of his sons. At least three of his sons who he determined to be threats to power, to his power. It made Caesar Augustus look after he heard about the deaths of Herod's sons. And you remember the phraseology that was used to speak about his violence. It is better to be one of Herod's pigs than his sons. Kind of a play on words because if you know the Greek... The Greek word for sow or pig is, is huos. The Greek word for son, weos. It's better to be a huos than a weos. You get it? Some of you ain't with me tonight. I know this is not for you, not usual, but look, I read this. I got to give it to you, all right? It's better to be violence. And that's the same king we see when Jesus is born. Remember? It plays right into his historical narrative, into his persona, into who he is. When, when Jesus is born and he hears, remember, the wise men come and they say, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? Because if you trace the lineage of Herod the Great back, he is not Jewish. He is Idumean. And they say, where is he that's born? Where's the rightful? Now, Herod had tried to kill everybody and do everything he could. He even married one of the Hasmonean princesses so that somehow people would accept him. But he still, he still was suspicious and envious. Where is he that's born? Well, you tell me where he's born. And uh, when you find him, you come back and you let me know so that I may worship him, Herod says. Fully intending to eliminate yet another threat to the throne. And as we find out, when he discovers the treachery of the wise men, he kills all of those in Bethlehem, all of those young boys, two years and under. The violent Herod. When he dies, after executing one of his sons, five days later he dies, and his kingdom is split up between three of his other sons that survived. It was like the fifth, sixth will that he had written. And before long, as those individuals ruled, before long, they gave way 
to Herod Agrippa. Little by little, Agrippa I, he, he obtained all the territory that his grandfather Herod the Great had. And he had brought it back all under his rule. He had consolidated it. You see, I told you last week, Herod Agrippa was, was educated where? In Rome. Remember that? Andy, did we, uh, did we tape that one last week? Go back and listen to it. Good sermon. Better than this one. Go back and look at it last week. Herod Agrippa was educated in Rome. You know some of his classmates? Caligula, who becomes emperor. Claudius, who becomes emperor. And he plays upon those same, upon those same relationships, just like his grandfather, just like great-grandfather Antipater had. He had played upon all of these relationships. He had done everything he could to consolidate his power, and he'd finally gotten there. And, he, and he, had made, he had allowed the territory to come back to Herodian rule. And now the scripture here says that at the pinnacle of his power, when he's killed James the apostle, when he's already imprisoned Peter, when he has curried favor with the Jews, at the pinnacle of his power, he is now at Caesarea by the sea, which Herod the Great, again, had had the harbor built just in case the Jews ever turned on him, they could get the Romans there as quickly as they could to provide the support that would be needed. And Herod Agrippa is there after this negotiation, after Tyre and Sidon, which had somewhat rebelled against him, after they recognized that they needed the, pro the produce from the land that he governed, they came and they made peace with his personal aid, Blastus. And they're coming to hope maybe ratify such a peace treaty and they come to make peace with one another. And it says that Herod Agrippa I, he comes into this amphitheater. And when you look at him, you begin to notice the magnificence of this king. If you go with me, and with Brother Dale next year, right? We're going to Israel still. If the Lord hadn't come yet, planning to go over. If you go with us, we'll take you right to that amphitheater. The box where this man sat is still there. You can go and you can look at it. And here he is. You can almost envision him coming into that area. Josephus says that his silver wardrobes, they just shine brightly in the morning sun. And the people look at him in his magnificence. They look at him in his power. They look at him as though he has now brought this dynasty back to relevance. And what do they say? The voice of a God and not of a man. And they worship him and they praise him for what he has attained. The pinnacle of power. You know, a lot of people today, they think that they've achieved they think they've accomplished. They think that they've reached that point to where they have gained such popularity and prestige and authority that they can just about do anything. 
Isn't it amazing that you look at some of our leaders sometimes and you say, how in the world could they get caught, if you will, doing that? How in the world would they or even think that they had the authority or that they had the know-how to be able to do what they did and still remain spotless. But what's the old saying? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And sometimes you reach a point to where you think, you know, you can do no wrong. And you can do anything you want. Because you know what? You are the man. You are the woman. Everybody's looking at you. You can do anything you want. You're the king in a sense. But may I say to you, no matter who you are and what you achieve and what you accomplish and the position that you hold, there's always another king. And he's the true king that you will bow before. And here Herod Agrippa I, in all of his elegance and all of his power, he comes to the recognition that there is a greater king. It says in verse 23, then immediately, Luke says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. Josephus says, as he recounts this in a very similar fashion, that basically stomach pains come upon this king and in approximately five days and Dr. Luke records it for us that he dies very violent grisly death says he was eaten by worms and died Josephus will give us a very similar account of his grandfather Herod the great. Verse 24. Notice this summary statement Luke gives. Almost seems to be out of place, doesn't it? I mean, to talk about a king's death. and But notice what it says. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Remember last week in that sermon, which again was a better sermon than this one, obviously. Last week I said to you, when you look up, or when things look bad, look up. Because it looked bad. James the apostle was dead. Peter had been imprisoned. It looked bad. It looked like the earthly forces of Satan were making headway against the kingdom of God. And this king, this king that had learned to manipulate just like his grandfather just like his great-grandfather just like his dad this king looked like he was prevailing and it looked like nobody could stop him it got to the point they were worshiping as him as a god 
And yet, the true king of heaven said, that's enough. I've allowed this for a certain time. I've allowed it, obviously, in a certain place. That's enough. And get this. When the true king of heaven says that's enough, that's enough. And when the true king of heaven speaks and deals with his foes, he deals with them completely. And he demonstrates his victory. And this king is defeated. And the word of God grows and multiplies. The theme of the book of Acts, you should know it by now, the triumph of the gospel over every barrier. It doesn't matter about earthly kings. It doesn't matter about earthly authorities that come against the church, that try to destroy the church, that try to stop the church. Guess what? The true king overcomes those obstacles. And his gospel, his good news, it goes forth. And it continues to do it because nothing can stop the power of the gospel. We need to be reminded of that as a people. Because I will tell you, there are days when I look around and I see earthly forces and earthly authorities and earthly kings, and you begin to wonder, God, why? And God, how? And how in the world with our missionary efforts continue to go forth if we see what's going on in this world now and the opposition that's coming and the hostility that's coming? Lord, how will our missionaries even begin to make an impact. And I read stories like this and I'm reminded. The word of God can t- continue to grow. And the word of God can continue to multiply. Why? Because Jesus is the true king. No matter what the earthly authority is. No matter what opposition lies in front of us. Jesus said that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, would not prevail against his church. And I believe that still. I believe that the true king that sits on the throne has authority over every other kingdom and king. I believe that this God, this king of heaven, I believe that he can fulfill that proverb of taking a king's heart and turning it just like he can the water he can channel it one way or the other because that is the God we serve he is the true king and he has dealt with these earthly authorities he's dealt with them over and over read the history read the Old Testament of kings like Nebuchadnezzar that thought they could stand against him Read the New Testament where you see people like Herod the Great who think they can destroy him. And over and over and over, over and over and over, the truth is affirmed. All earthly authorities, all kings, all kingdoms bow before his power and his authority. Always. One of these days, listen, one of these days, when everything is brought to culmination, 
when the victory is finally culminated through Jesus Christ and his coming. You know what? Everybody will proclaim that he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Everybody, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. They will do it willingly or they will do it in defeat. But in both ways, they will acknowledge that Jesus is the true king. May we recognize it now in our lives. And may we live like it tomorrow. May we go like it this week and in the months to come. And may we see the king of heaven demonstrate his victory in our lives and through our lives as we take his gospel knowing that through his strength, his word grows and it multiplies. Let's pray together. Father, we do bless your name tonight. We praise you. We thank you for being the king of heaven, the God that we serve. And Lord, we pray that you would empower us as we go speaking your good news to those we come in contact with. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we have this hymn?